Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and today I actually have a great opportunity to have a conversation with Capturing Christianity, also known as Cameron Bertuzzi. So, Cameron Bertuzzi, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. good thank you. Yeah, thank you for taking the inv invitation. So, uh, real quick, just so everyone knows, if there's some editing or cuts and whatnot, Cameron is being a good father, and if he has to go run and take care of a child, we might have to edit that out of the video. So, I uh, just want to let everyone know, if you see those cuts going on, I'm not cutting things out that I don't like that Cam said. So, anyway. Uh, so, Cam, would you do us a favor, though? To those who might not know, I really wanted this interview to be kind of a get-to-know-you experience, because you do a lot of interviews with other people, and I just think it's kind of neat to maybe have an opportunity for people to kind of get to know you more personally. So can you yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself, what's your background, and when you became a Christian, and all that good stuff? Yeah, so I became a Christian. I, I grew up a Christian, and I think there were like a couple times throughout like my very young childhood where I was like, okay, I, I think there was even a few times I was just laying in bed thinking, okay, God, I accept you into my heart kind of kind of thing. So I, I, from a very early age, I considered myself a Christian. We went to church all the time. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago, well, really about like a, almost a decade at this point, that I really started to question my faith and really started to look into whether or not there were good reasons, good evidence for the truth of Christianity. And what started that journey was my brother becoming an atheist around that time. And so I had a conversation with him. The conversation went terribly. I think for both of us, we'd probably agree that it didn't go very well. And so fr from that point, though, it really sent me on a journey to discover whether or not Christianity was true. So as I looked into the arguments and, and the evidence, I discovered that, hey, there's actually a whole lot more here intellectually than I ever anticipated, ever imagined. And so that's why I do what I do now is because I want to expose what I found to other people. And so I interview people, I interview professional philosophers, and I even host discussions between Christians and non-Christians to get kind of both perspectives and hear what the other side has to say. So that's that's pretty much a little bit about me. Oh, and I should probably also mention that I am a photographer. That's my background. And so the ministry capturing Christianity is actually a photography reference, like capturing an image. So I'm trying to capture Christianity. I'm not trying to like, okay. it's not a military reference. I'm not trying to beat someone or cap or like, you know, <laughs> put someone in prison. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to, uh, to capture the intellectual side of Christianity. And so that's why I do what I do. So, but yeah, so that's, that's my background is, is in photography. And that's, that's why if you like, you look at the stuff that I produce, any of my videos, I try to make it look really nice, the lighting and the cameras and everything. So that, that'll explain why it looks the way that it does. Yeah, no, that definitely explains it. That was one of the things when you first said, uh, one of your videos uh, early on, you were like, yeah, I'm, I've been following your channel for a while. And you're like, yeah, as a, as a photographer, I'm like, that explains so much. Because <laughs> how does he keep it so chic? How does the shading always look so perfect? Oh, that makes sense. So uh, I appreciate that. And I, honestly, I love the fact that you actually are trying to get the intellectual side of Christianity. I'm a pastor. And when I first started pastoring, I started realizing the fact of, okay, I have a lot of theology, but I don't have a lot of robust, what we would call apologetics, right? I don't have a full, deep understanding of the philosophy historical arguments. You know, I had some, but not a lot. So I was like, well, I got to be more prepared because I'm going to ask questions as a pastor. I'm expected to know. And that's when uh, I really took a deep dive. And uh, Ravi Zacharias is probably one of the biggest influencers for me. And then, of course, the deep dive with Gary Habermas and all those. So when I found your channel, it really stuck out to me personally because you were actually trying to give everyone an honest, fair shake. And then you've had people even like Cosmic Skeptic on and really just trying to create dialogue. So I appreciate that about you. So at this stage, what would you identify yourself as in the theological world, like Reformed, Baptist, non-denom, Catholic, as some people might? We'll get into that here in a sec. Yeah, so I'm definitely not Catholic or, or really any, anywhere close to Catholic at this point, which may change. But right now, as, as you know, and as the audience may not know, I'm right now in the middle of looking really deeply into Catholicism. And so that's that's one of the reasons for this question is that I'm... I'm doing interviews with people. I even got one uh, in a couple of weeks from this recording. I've got a, an interview with Jerry Walls, Dr. Jerry Walls. He's got an argument against Catholicism that I'll be presenting on my on my channel. So I'm, I'm right now I'm looking at both sides of it. But I would consider myself just non-denominational. And hopefully at the end of this investigation, if there's going to be an end to it, which I don't even know that there will be, but as I look further and further into the theological side of things, I'm hoping that I wind up in some camp 
that I think is the right, you know, whatever the the, the that has the theological truth. <laughs> you want to put it that way. So I'm hoping that Fair. as I as I continue this journey and discovery into in, into theology in particular, I hope that I find the place that I fit the best. And so if it's non-denominational ultimately, then that's where I'll end up. But if it's somewhere specific, then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to really pretty much anything at this point, even Eastern Orthodox. Like if that's the way to go, I'm open to, to going that way as well. So whatever has the truth is what I want. That makes, that makes perfect sense. And that's what I would say too. You know, there's nothing wrong. And so, you know, you basically said once that you were closer to Catholicism than you've been. And that's mainly because Protestants as, and this is any side of any argument has a real tendency to straw man certain positions. And so now a lot of those straw men or the things that you were once told that Catholics believe has actually kind of fallen apart. I have some very good Catholic friends. So I'm also familiar with a lot of those uh, misrepresentations. So I yeah. don't think there's any wrong with you looking into and giving them a fair shake instead of demonizing all of them. And so I appreciate that about you. And I think, uh, you know, if with enough investigation, everyone should be able to land into a, into a place of truth. And that's really what it comes down to is looking at truth and try not to demonize everyone, especially for all Christians in the end, you know, we're all just trying to work together and discover the closest thing to the truth that we can know. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so, uh, and you mentioned that you're in a, uh, a photographer before, and then you got into a, a apologetics because of your brother. Now, how old was that? How old were you when that happened? How old was I? Uh, I think I was probably around, uh, I was in my mid-20s, so I was maybe 25, okay. around there. And you're like, what, 33 or something like that 33 now, now yeah. That's insane. I, I, I thought you were literally like 24 when you were doing these. And when you mentioned your age, I'm like, dang, he ages like a fine wine. <laughs> Wish I could age that well. I'm aging like a raisin. But anyway, uh, so being an apologist, what? so obviously your brother was a big thing that led you to apologetics. Was there anything else that influenced you into going into apologetics specifically? Um, I, I would say that he, he kind of started the flame, but it was ultimately philosophy and, and apologize, like the arguments that really got me interested. And I, I just developed a passion for it early on. I went to different forums and I was trying to, as I was learning apologetics and reading books and watching lectures and watching debates and stuff, I would want to go out and use this with atheists. So I would go on like Facebook. There were some Facebook groups back then that I would that I would frequent. And then there was a, a, another forum that I would frequent probably the most out of everything was the reasonable faith forums. Reasonable faith is a ministry led by Dr. William Lane Craig, who's probably so the, the most well-known best apologist in the world right now. And so he has a I'd website agree. and he has a forum. Yeah. He's, he's got a forum. So I was, I was doing a lot of apologetics there. And in that time I really developed a passion for it. It wasn't, it wasn't just that my brother sort of sparked it and that's what kept me going. It was that I really discovered a passion for learning and getting more education. And then also just talking with people about this subject, about philosophy, the arguments for and against God's existence. What's the evidence for the resurrection from history? And, and so I, I've developed a, a passion for it. And that's why I wanted to kind of get serious about it. I decided that the reason I started my website in the first place, it was it started out as a website, even just a blog where I would post things because on these forums, I was posting things um, once a week, once or twice a week, and I would get feedback from people. And so I decided, well, well, why am I putting all of my resources on this other forum, this other website? Why don't I just do it on my own and do my own thing? Because if I want to get kind of serious about this, maybe even look at a potential future career, which I wasn't really thinking that at the beginning. I was just like, you know, maybe I'll write a book one one day or maybe I'll, I'll do something with this one day. And so I started my website as, as mainly a way for – to, to sort of practice writing, actually, to get better at that and better better at telling stories. And so, yeah, I think it's kind of a long way of saying that that's another thing that drove me to do this was just discovering that I, I really enjoy doing it. It's just like, it's kind of like anything. It's like I, I discovered sort of randomly that I really like taking pictures and I like the whole technical aspect of like what settings to use and where the lighting should come from and all that kind of stuff. Like I just like doing that. And I discovered I like doing apologetics. I like thinking about that. I like that way more than I like photography. Like <laughs> photography is kind of fun to think about and do, but I, apologetics is something that I kind of obsess about. And so sometimes bad that I obsess too much about it. And I try to try to 
put some put the brakes on that and try to slow down a little bit and keep the main thing the main thing. But uh, yeah, so I've just developed a passion for it. No, that's awesome. I think, and that's kind of me a little bit because I was like it's such a theology nerd, and so what I would do is I, I a similar story I'd you know argue or discuss or debate people online about different theological points, and then I was like why don't I start writing this down in a blog? And so I did a blog and then it got, it got some good traction going. And then I was like, you know, I'm a really bad writer though. Like I had to proofread everything 40 times before I even dare publish something. So then I was like, why don't I just do video? So now here I am. Uh, but anyway, so that's really interesting. That's great. I actually really liked your website. You do a really good job at your like written arguments. I've actually really have enjoyed your blog post. So i uh, keep don't forget to do that. I really enjoy them. But anyway, okay. what's, <laughs> but what's your biggest passion regarding this project that you're doing? Apologetics is so much fun. It's a deep, deep topic. And it's something I also obsess about now that I found it uh, a couple years ago. So what's your biggest passion, would you say, though, regarding this? Yeah, so I think there's probably two areas that I really, really like when it comes to apologetics or philosophy. One of them is in epistemology, so like how we come to know things. And as it pertains to like Christianity or religion, particularly, there's another term, another big term, religious epistemology. That's a real big area of interest for me. So I'm a reformed epistemologist. That's another big term, which basically means that I don't think, which is kind of weird for, for an apologist to say this, but I don't think that we have to have arguments in order to have a justified or rational belief in God's existence. And I've come to be convinced of this view based on some of the things that I've read and interacting with different philosophy papers and philosophers and chats and everything. Anyway, so I, I, uh, it's a real big interest for me, epistemology, religious epistemology. Another big area of interest for me is the arguments for God's existence. Particularly, there's there's one that I really like, the argument from contingency. That's my favorite argument for God's existence. It's the argument that I know the most about. I would say that the argument I know the, the second most about is probably the uh, argument for the, the Kalam cosmological argument, which I'm actually in the middle of doing a debate with an atheist right now on. And so th that's probably the other biggest area of interest for me would be the cosmological arguments. And then the other one that I already mentioned, religious epistemology. So those are probably the two biggest areas that I just find myself naturally sort of inclined to think about, read about and delve deeper into. It's funny you say the Kalam. I literally did a sermon yesterday at church on the Kalam. I was like, all right, we're going to finally do this because I'm a nerd and I'm going to finally do talk about what I want to talk about. So, um, <laughs> How it was, did it go? went really well. I had one lady is like, I have four pages of notes and I think half of it went over my head. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll we can sit down and talk about it. So I don't know if that says the, something about the depth of the material or the lack of my ability to speak well, but I'll take it. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. So where do you... So where do you see yourself kind of going with apologetics? Do you see this as like a lifelong career? Do you have like a certain goal as far as like maybe teaching this or what's your goal in mind, I guess, with all this? Yeah, I think that I, I see myself kind of doing this style of what I'm doing now where it's kind of it's, it's an educational ministry. I want to educate people about the intellectual side of Christianity. And I can see that as a lifelong project. A lot of these apologists that I look up to and aspire to to be, these ministries that they have, they just they've been doing it for years, and that's just what they do. And it's kind of something that you don't really stop doing. If you look at some of these guys, like William Lane Craig, he's seventy and he's still just like every day he's got something going on. He's doing interviews, he's researching, he's doing all of these different things. So I can definitely see this as like a career long term thing that I'll be doing for hopefully the rest of my life. I mean that's that's how much I love doing this. So as far as like goal, some, some immediate goals right now, I do most of my interviews remotely. So I'll like, I'll have a Skype. I use a Skype session, just, just kind of like what we're doing right here for your channel. Right. But I do this and that, that's how I get people on with me, ask them questions. And we, we have some good back and forth. So I, I do the same thing with my discussions that I host between Christians and non-Christians. That's all through Skype. But ultimately what I would love to be able to do, I'm thinking long-term here is have people in like person with me have kind of a studio that I have set up to where I can do things and have some really, really cool lighting and stuff. And so it's, I've always noticed a different dynamic when I'm actually in the room with somebody else and I'm interviewing them. It's just completely different 
then when I'm in a Skype session, I've, I've got to be worrying about technical issues. It, it can, it's really freeing. It's just, it's a completely different dynamic because I've done a couple of sessions like that where it's been in person and it's just completely different. So I would love to, to be able to do that on a sort of regular basis, once a week, maybe, where I have, a, have someone can stream it live. It'd be perfect 4K, you know, stuff like that. be amazing. So that's that's one of my long-term goals, to be able to do something like that with the channel. That would be awesome, actually, because I, I, you're right. I really <laughs> I really like your uh, in-person interviews because there's this more of a personable thing, right? As much as we're making this work, yeah. it's so much better when you can sit down, talk to the person. I mean, you have a good one with Frank Turek, Dr. David Wood, and all these other people that you've done that way. Then it creates an or organic feel. Like you said, you don't have the the issues that what we have, you know, making sure everything's working just fine. And then if your internet crashes, well, you're screwed. So, uh, no, that'd be yeah. great. So it, with that being said, people go to his Patreon, help support him so he can make these sort of things happen. So that would be great. But, um, so yeah. you, you already said your favorite argument for God's existence is the Kalam. Is that, is that what I understand it? No contingency. Oh, contingency. That's right. Contingency is my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, would you mind explaining that what the argument for contingency is? Yeah, uh, that, that's going to take. Uh, we'll see how quickly <laughs> I can do this because oh. it's a it's a really complicated argument. Yeah. Fine. So the okay. argument from contingency, you you got to know first of all some some of the terms that are required for it. So contingency, there's a couple of different ways that that term is used. Now, ordinarily, I think that when we use that term, we're like, oh, well, this this uh, vacation that I'm planning is contingent on, you know, the weather being nice, or perhaps you could, you could even say, you know, COVID-19 not being an issue. So contingent, I think in everyday language means something like dependent. So this thing is dependent on something else, which I think is a legitimate way of using it. And there's even an, a, a style of contingency argument that use that, that uses that version or uses that term, that definition of the term. But in philosophy, there's another way to use contingency. And that that way is basically like this. So a contingent thing in the second use is something that can fail to exist. It could be gone is one way to say it. So to use an example, my phone right here, I could smash it. I could burn it. I could throw it on the ground. It could be gone. I could destroy it basically. And so what that shows is that this is a contingent thing could fail to exist. So to, to think about that more more broadly. So it's not just my phone that's contingent. I'm a contingent thing. I haven't always been here. I could, I, you know, God forbid I could be killed. I could be, I could go out of existence. Everything that we interact with on a daily basis, our cars, our houses, our computers, everything that we interact with pretty much is a contingent thing. I say pretty much because I don't think God is a contingent thing, but anyways, so everything that we interact with on a daily basis is contingent. So the argument moves like this. Once we understand some of the, the concepts, the terminology that's involved, Here's the way that the argument works and moves. So we're, we got to think about all of the contingent things that exist. That's kind of difficult to do, but just think about it. Conceptually, if we could put all of the different contingent things in like, say, a box, okay, we would, we would need some kind of explanation why that box exists. Why, you know, why isn't it the case that a different set of things existed? Why does that set of things exist? And what this idea is kind of drawing on is a principle of causation. Some people call it the principle of sufficient reason. And it basically goes like this. Every contingent thing or set of things has an explanation for why it exists. And this is also very generally, I mean, we can think about it going back to my phone. My phone, there's a reason why my phone exists. It was built in a factory. I bought it. That could be part of the explanation. So, there's a there's like a demand for smartphones that that could be part of the explanation. Anyways, there's a there's an explanation why any particular contingent thing that you pick out, my computer, my car, me, I exist because my parents. So there's always an explanation for why a contingent thing exists. But if that's true, then it would also apply to all contingent things, the sort of plurality of contingent things. So what the argument therefore gets us to, if there's an explanation for all contingent things, the explanation can't be something that's already sort of included in the box. Think about, yeah, if you wanted to explain sort of the things that were in a box, you couldn't appeal to the things in the box itself. You'd have to appeal to other things outside of the box. And the only non-contingent thing is a necessary thing. 
And so what this argument gets us to is a being that has to exist, a necessary being that is not contingent, it's not dependent, it's also, uh, it also can't fail to exist, it has to exist, it's a necessary being. And then that, that's sort of the first stage of the argument, is to get us to a necessary being based on the contingent things that we find in the world. And then the second stage of the argument is to, is to look at this. this is a, we've, we've arrived at a foundational feature of the world, which is there's some part of reality that is necessary. It explains all contingent reality. And then stage two of the argument says, okay, that foundational piece of reality, that necessary part, is God. There's connections that, that can be made. There's paths from necessary being to God. And so that's, I don't want to get into those right now because that, that's going to open a whole can of worms and there's a whole lot to talk about there. But that's basically how the, the argument works and, the, and what it looks like. Actually, I, yeah, that's actually fantastic. I've heard a little bit about the contingency argument. So that's why I was like, well, what is that? I would like you to explain that a little bit because uh, it's kind of almost in a sense a more complex kalam to its own kind of degree. You kind of both have this idea of causation, what brought it there. So uh, very good. And so now granted what our favorite arguments so one, are. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So one point of clarification. So the, the kalam cosmological argument is is an argument about things that begin to exist. Right. But the contingency argument is fully compatible. If the universe, for example, if the universe never began to exist, it would still be contingent and therefore still be subject to the argument from contingency. So that's one of the biggest differences between the Kalam and the contingency argument is that the contingency argument is fully compatible with the universe having a, or with the universe never beginning to exist. It would still need an explanation why it exists as opposed to some different type of universe or even a universe that began to exist. So, yeah, and the version that I gave doesn't even say the universe is contingent or that everything in the universe is contingent. It doesn't say anything like that. It just says consider it like just think about all the contingent things that exist, whatever you want to say that those are. That group of things that or that set of things, that plurality of contingent things has some explanation that is beyond those things themselves. Just like the set of all chickens is not explained by some set of chickens that are in the set of chickens, right? You're not going to explain the existence of chickens by pointing to, like, the father hen over there. Or I don't know. I don't even know if that's a right way to say that. <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah. Get the idea. <laughs> a rooster. Yeah, you're not going to point to a rooster there it and be is. like, okay, that explains all the chickens. Yeah, that's not going to happen because you're appealing to something that's already inside the group. So you need something outside of the group in order to explain the group. And so we don't have to talk about the universe being contingent at all. We can just look at the set of contingent things. There's an explanation outside of that set that is necessary, has to be by definition. And we've therefore we arrive at a necessary being. And that necessary being the second stage of the argument goes goes to God. So I just wanted to make that clarification. That's one of the biggest differences between the Kalam and the contingency argument. I actually think that's a really good distinction, though. That's actually really interesting. I've done a lot of study on the Kalam, so now we got to jump into contingency. You've now you've now made me curious. Now I'm gonna have to do that. So piqued your interest. Yes, you have, and that's that's. I, and actually, I do like the fact good. that, like you said, it, it creates it. it it's not everything that begins to exist. It's just any contingent thing. So any group of whatever. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I'm going to learn something. Now we have something to research over lunch, Brian. Okay. So what do you <laughs> believe? So what? obviously we all as apologists have our favorite arguments. We all have our favorite pet topic for whatever reason. But that doesn't necessarily mean our favorite one's the most effective one. Uh, so what yeah. would you say is the most effective argument that you've experienced? So that one, that, that's a good question and i don't really have an answer to that i'm just gonna have to say i don't know honestly what i what i do is that I, I unacceptable don't like, i don't have any yeah i don't have uh <laughs> i don't have interactions with atheists and i like it's not like a cookie cutter thing apologetics so right. i'll like have, be having a conversation about contingency with somebody and that conversation will be interesting and then we'll talk about something else with somebody else so it's not like a cookie cutter thing where it's like this one thing is the best in every situation i just kind of come at it from you know, case by case basis. Who is this person? Where are they coming from? What's their background? What has sort of led them to where they are now? And this is something that even Greg Kokel pointed out in a uh, interview I did with him. Greg Kokel runs a, a really popular apologetics ministry called Stand to Reason. I interviewed him about his book, which is probably the best apologetics book that you can get if you're just starting out. 
tactics. Oh, tactics. So, so good. Yeah, tactics. And what he was saying there is that uh, in, in the interview that I did with him is that every single person, like you always want to get more information at the start of a conversation. If you go into a conversation just guns blazing, just giving them all of these arguments for God's existence, it could completely backfire. So here's an example that he gave in, in the interview that I did with him is he was talking with someone who grew up as a pastor's son and he goes, oh yeah, I used to be a pastor's son. That's what the guy said. And Greg was like, well, that's kind of weird. Like, did your father die? Like what happened? You know, what, what was the change? And so he found out that his dad, uh, for some reason he fell away from the faith and he was no longer a pastor. And so if he went into this conversation, just guns blazing, giving him all these arguments for God's existence, that would probably be a bad idea given this guy's background, given some of the some of the things that are happening beneath the surface. So you've got to, I think, take his, take Greg's advice. <coughs> Excuse me. It's good to take Greg's advice and pursue every conversation uniquely and just go into that conversation, trying to understand where that person's coming from. What, what's some of the things that led them to where they are now and then move forward and either just ask questions, get some more information about where they're coming from. Maybe it'd be an opportunity to share an argument for God's existence. You've got to determine that on a case-by-case basis, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, in my experience as a pastor, I've dealt with a lot of skeptics and kids who are searching and stuff, and each one has a different thing. Uh, I found a lot of times the kids, the moral argument seems to be a very effective one, but at the same time, it, it shifts to each 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 person. So especially, like you said, ask, get to know them instead of you're shooting a double barrel shotgun, hoping something hits them, then you can be more laser yeah. focused. So, okay, good. Um, so now just, this is just something to, I think I know the answer, but I just want, I'm just curious, who is okay. your favorite apologist and why? Oh, that's hard. I know. My well, it's, it's not William Lane Craig. Uh -oh. <laughs> is my, is my, yeah. He's my Dead. favorite one. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. He's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just really good. He's he's so um, what do you call it? He's so versatile. Like he can he can do it all. Basically, he knows epistemology. He knows the arguments for and against God's existence. He can do the argument for the resurrection. He beats atheists in debates. He's a good debater. He's just all around like the one guy who can basically do anything as an apologist. He's 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 super intelligent. It's like he's also winsome. And he tells jokes, you know, every now and then and stuff. And he's just, he's so great on so many different levels. And so I think that he's, he's my favorite in terms of like being the whole package, I would say. But another guy who's not as well known, who I think is probably one of the best thinkers of our generation is a guy that I've had on my channel a bunch. His name is Josh Rasmussen. Now, Josh is not an expert on the, the argument for the resurrection, but what he is an expert on is the argument from contingency. And that's the one that I've been sharing with you and so that's why I know so much about it is because I've invest, I've investigated his own work and he's just so brilliant and smart. And he's actually been helping me uh, develop some of my arguments for the Kalam as well, because a lot of the there's still overlap between the two, even though there is a distinction to be made between the contingency and the Kalam argument. There's a lot of overlap and a lot of the arguments can be used or adapted to fit both of them. So I think that he's also another person to, to look out for is Josh Rasmussen. One of the reasons why he's so great is not just because he's so brilliant and that he has these arguments and like he has a thousand different ways to defend all of his different arguments that he has. It's not just that. It's also the fact that he really loves people and cares about truth and cares about like not just beating someone over the head with an argument. He really wants to just like connect with that person. And he, he has a real deep, he has, he has a love and like he has a heart for skeptics. And you can see that in his work. He's not trying to make fun of them or, or make them feel stupid or look dumb. Like that is the opposite impression that you get when you see him and, and look at what he's doing. And that is something that I really aspire to. It's it's really, really encouraging me. It's encouraging to me to see someone like that who doesn't treat these outsiders. He's not part of that camp. He's not, you know, that his tribe is theist. He's a Christian theist. He didn't always used to be that way. That's an interesting part of his story. But anyways, the point is, is that he's not like, someone who is advocating, if not, you know, a lot of people don't do this explicitly, but implicitly we can be advocating for tribalism. It's like our group is against that group. That group is is stupid and irrational and dumb. Their arguments are terrible. He doesn't do that. He He's like very inclusive and tries to, to break some, down some of those barriers between people. And so that's just, it's an amazing attribute 
to have. And it's amazing to see someone that loves God and loves Jesus to, to be doing that right now. And so he's just a, a huge source of inspiration for me. I definitely recommend people to go check him out as well. He's got a YouTube channel. It's called Worldview Design. And he's uh, he just surpassed a thousand subscribers, so he's he's on the up and coming. But he's he, it's not what he does mo- like full time or anything. He just puts out videos when he can. But if you can watch his videos, they are amazing. They're so so good, so insightful. Definitely recommend checking him out. Okay, I'll definitely check him out. I know I've, I've seen him on your channel a few times. I didn't know he had his own channel though. So um, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great. So yeah, that's really important. That's one of the things that Rav V kind of hit me with, because I don't know what your personality type. I'm very much an ENTJ. I'm kind of the guy who just bulldozes people. It's my natural tendency. And just when he was like behind every question is a questioner, you know, he always showed love before, you know, he, you know, that's why when he passed, it was actually so heartbreaking. But when you saw the way he answered people, you never felt like he was trying to shame them. And that was, that, that's awesome. I'll check out, I'll check out Josh's stuff. That's great. So, yeah. um, Regarding your content, you know, you've had a large number of guests on your channel and you have interacted with some pretty big names. Like the fact that you're able to, you and also John McRae are able to get, have like interactions with William Lane Craig is pretty great because he's actually kind of picky anymore because he's pretty popular. (laughs) Um, So what did that road look like? Like, you know, when you're just this guy who's like, oh, I'm going to start this tiny little YouTube channel. I want to expose people to the intellectual side of Christianity because everyone thinks that Christians have committed intellectual suicide. It's not true. What did what did that look like? And when you started pulling these names in, was it overwhelming? Just kind of walk me through that a little bit. No, I don't say it was overwhelming at all. What I what I did is that I, I'm I'm pretty bold when it comes to just like asking people to do stuff. And so I mean I, I've done this not just in my own like not not just in apologetics but also like in photography as well, there was a guy who I was following when I first got started into apologetics and he's actually a friend now, but he was one of the guys that I found and I was like, man, the stuff that he's doing is just super good. It looked like magazine quality. It's just like really, really cool. I hadn't seen anything like it. And I figured out that he was in Houston where I lived. And so I like just sent him an email randomly. I was like, Hey, let's go get, let's go like meet for lunch. And he accepted it. And so we went out to lunch and just talked about photography. It was really weird. And then I started to like do some more photography stuff with him. I want to say shoots, but some people have take issue with the terminology, like go do a shoot. That's what it is. It's a photography shoot. Uh, But anyways, so, so I reached out to him and it it just out of sort of that that innate boldness that I have. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, that's what I did. And so that's, that's the same kind of thing that I do with my ministry now capturing Christianity, I'll just send people an email. Now it's a whole lot easier because I've developed an audience. And so I can say, look, we're coming up on 60,000 subscribers. Most of our videos get thousands and thousands of views. So a lot of people are interested in coming on now, but at the, but at the very beginning of it, I was just like, look, this is what I do. And uh, here's some of the previous work that I've done. And initially what it was, I can give you, I can talk about some of the like initial interviews that I did. Like one of the first interviews I did in person, if you can believe it was with Richard Swinburne. Richard Swinburne, he's uh, he's probably like one. A, a lot of philosophers think he's like one of the most most important natural theologians of our time. And a natural theologian is just someone who argues for God's existence using stuff that's not in the Bible, basically. So it's from natural from the from nature, basically natural theology. Anyways, so I I interviewed him, and the reason why I got, I landed that interview was because I had connections with other people, other Christians, other Christian philosophers who knew about my work, some of the, the little things that I was doing. Like my my very first initial interview was with a guy named Tyler McNabb. And Tyler, he's been on the channel. He's even on my channel very, very recently where he's, he's a Catholic and he was trying to convert me to Catholicism on the spot. But I did this interview with him. I befriended him on Facebook. He's a young guy. He's younger than me, but he's got a PhD already. He got a PhD when he was like 25 or 26 or even, possibly even younger than that. It was ridiculous grief. how young he got his PhD. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I reached out to him, but I found I found this guy who's really young, really smart, really talented, and I just like reached out to him. I was like, hey, I'll do this interview for you. Uh, it'll, it'll help me out. It'll help you out. And so I just did that. I just went over there by myself, brought some cameras, set up a little microphone, and just did this in-person interview with him. You can go see that on my channel. And so that was once I had some content there, then I was able to share that with people and say, hey, look, this is the kind of style of it. This is the feel of it. And this is kind of like what my personality is and how I interview people. So that and, and the first door in was with a guy who was just starting out and he he needed some exposure himself. He needed some some more content that he could share with people. 
And plus we were already friends and we both shared some of the same values and interests of apologetics and getting this type of content out there. So that was kind of my door in. So some of the connections that I had, some of the content that I already produced by myself. And then at this point, like I said, it's, it's a lot different nowadays, just can email somebody. And, and most people know about the ministry who are into apologetics at all. Most people already are familiar with it in some way or another. And so they're, they're usually open to, to coming on if I, if I ask. So, but that's, that's how it started initially. No, that's funny. Yeah, no, that's a, uh, that was literally me when we first started doing interviews. I tested one over Skype with my brother-in-law. I'm like, Hey, you're a missionary. I need to test my equipment. Let's do this. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, there's some people I'd really like to talk to. I'm like, ah, I'll go message Braxton Hunter. That's going to be a no. And then he's like, yeah, I'll come on. I'm like, really? Oh, wow. Okay. So then also messaging you and then you were like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, Oh, wow. This is weird. Okay, cool. So, uh, that's, that's funny. Cause I feel like if I, uh, if I, if William Lane Craig came across my screen, I'd literally fanboy and faint. So, uh, but anyway, uh, so <laughs> has, uh, there ever been a particular interaction as, uh, by the way, I'm joking around about William Lane Craig. I really love him, but, uh, don't worry. I don't worship at the feet of WLC anyway, but you would faint be serious. I probably would. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I'm a pretty big fan. Uh, mainly hey, because, actually, so I, yeah, Go I, ahead. I was going to say, I, I interviewed him in person and that was just super weird, super surreal because I had followed his work for years and years and years. And then like sitting down with him and seeing him. Well, I mean, I, I'd actually seen him a couple years before, so it wasn't the first time that I saw him, but sitting down and doing an interview with him is completely different ball game. It was, it was really, really weird because he, he like the way that he looks at you, he's just like, He's ready to pounce on the question that you're about to ask. And then when he's done, you're kind of like, oh, now it's my turn. I guess I got to say something. It's just really <laughs> weird. Like he's, it's a really interesting, uh, for me at least, the way that I work and the, the respect that I have for him, is, it was an interesting interview well he's so brilliant too and he knows everything he pays yeah. attention to everything people say you can see when even in debates you just see him laser focused so i yeah exactly. that, that'd be almost intimidating because you're on the other end of him like oh okay yeah I, it, yeah it was it was very intimidating i didn't want to like push back at all it was it was really weird so another the only other person that i've interviewed i think that has even come close to like I don't know, giving off that aura of intimidation, if you want to put it that way, you kind of can, is Richard Swinburne. Richard was like, he was super intimidating to me. Just, he, he's so brilliant. And there was one point in my interview with him where we just, we talked about random things. It wasn't like one specific topic. It wasn't topical at all. But so I just asked him a bunch of random questions. One of the questions I asked him was like, what argument are you, are you most confident? What argument that you've defended in your work are you most confident in? And he said dualism was his was his answer. And so because I'm I'm kind of on the fence about dualism. I was like, OK, well, what, what you know, what's your argument for that? And so he laid one out and I was like, yeah, it's, that, that's an interesting argument. And then he goes, well, what's wrong with it? And I went, oh, no, uh, no, no, don't ask me that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, at, that, at that point, I was like, oh, my goodness, I've never been so challenged intellectually in one moment. And so and I would say. Man, they're they're very on par. I, it's it's difficult to put like one over the other. But anyways, th those are the yeah th those those inter, inter interactions with them have been very special. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine. Uh, I think I probably would have freaked out with David Wood a little bit too, just because I'm not gonna lie. I know he's controversial for some people, but I think he's I find him hilarious. But that's just me. Uh, not everyone always agrees, but he's a good time. But uh, yeah, no, that's definitely I could see that. So I guess. Um, has, so has so those were the ones that you would say would probably challenge you the most. Would you say is uh, William Lane Craig and uh, Swinberg? These were the ones that you would say challenge you the most. Is there any particular yeah. interaction on your channel that has like maybe even with an atheist or anything that specifically challenged you at all, or not really? You seem like you're pretty confident in yeah. your in yourself, so which is good. Well, <laughs> well, I'm I'm a lot more secure now than I was in in my beliefs, and I think that's actually a source of like when people get defensive is probably because there's some kind of like insecurity that's happening in your own life because criticism shouldn't bother you. Actually, if, it, if the criticism, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but if, if criticism is wrong, it's, it's incorrect. It shouldn't bother you at all because it's wrong or incorrect. But if the criticism is accurate, I think that's usually when people get defensive, but even still like the reasonable reaction to good criticism 
is to be like, look, this is an opportunity for me to grow. I can, you know, get rid of this false belief that I have. I can get smarter. I can know some more stuff, correct some bad things. And that's a good thing. And so anyways, I digress. So one of the, one of the things that, uh, that has challenged me the most, I would say, Dr. Graham Oppie, he's been on my, on my channel a bunch. He's an atheist philosopher. I mentioned earlier that I do these conversations between Christians and non-Christians. Graham Oppie is probably the guy who I would say has, has really challenged my beliefs in a lot of ways. And one, one of the ways that he's challenged them, and it's kind of, this, kind of a similar way to Catholicism, where now that I'm talking with informed, really smart Catholics, they're challenging some of the preconceptions that I had. Now talking with Graham Oppie, probably the, the most brilliant atheist alive, I've really come to have a, a different appreciation for at least his brand of atheism. So he's he's got a view of atheism that's very unique. It has its own sort of set of commitments that you've got to subscribe to in order to be a kind of Oppian atheist, if you want to put it that way. But Fair. he has a brand of atheism that I think is probably the most reasonable that I've seen. And so he's he sort of challenged me in that way to have a deeper respect for at least this type of atheism as opposed to just thinking that, you know, all of these, like you've got to believe that the universe is just, you know, finely tuned for no reason. You've got to think that it began for no reason, 13.7, however many billion years ago. You've got to like have a lot of weird, wacky beliefs as an atheist. But on his view, it's not really open to those types of criticism. You've got to criticize his view of atheism in different ways. It's a lot more formidable. It's a lot di more difficult to, to uh, argue against. And so that, that's one way that my beliefs have been challenged. Oh, good. Okay. Um, yeah, that I'll check that out. I haven't really actually watched uh, much with him at all, so I'll have to check that out too. You're you give me like forty things to check out in this one video. This is good. So, with if you kind of already segued into this naturally. So dealing with criticism now, you know, like you said, if it's true, it shouldn't bother you. Just change and you know adapt. If it's not true, should it bother you? Because it's not true. But you mentioned also that you struggled with anxiety before. I know you and Braxton Hunter did mm -hmm. a, a collaboration with that. So how do you deal with your anxiety plus dealing with all the attacks that you inevitably receive online? Does any of that bother you? Does it get to you? How does that work? Yeah, so I, I've dealt with anxiety. I've been I've been pretty open about this. Now, with me in particular, my anxiety arised. The the context that it arose in is I think important here. So I don't get anxiety from. I I'll say I'll say this. I get some anxiety from talking with atheists and talking with people that I disagree with. It doesn't have to just be an atheist. But when I have like a confrontational type of conversation, I just get a little anxiety. That's just kind of how I am. So maybe it's social anxiety. Maybe I'm afraid of possibly abandoning my beliefs. I don't know. But I get a little anxiety. But that's not the source of like the real anxiety that causes panic attacks and stuff for me. Right. What caused that for me initially was the fact that I was at a job when I was a full-time photographer. I was at a job that didn't want me there. They were looking actively looking for ways to get rid of me. And so that was causing a whole lot of stress. I was like, what am I going to do? So I was doing Capturing Christianity on the side. I wasn't anywhere close to being able to do it full time. So I was like, what am I going to do with this? It was just so the situational anxiety of, oh, my gosh, what what am I going to do? I've got a family, got kids. You know, how am I going to survive if this happens? They let me go. So that that was the real source. That's what kind of started me and, and gave me my first initial panic attack that I've ever had. But from that, it developed from work to like uh, health anxiety. So I started to have these sort of physical conditions, like my chest would hurt, like the inside of my chest would hurt. And it was like difficult to breathe at certain points. I, I was put on a medication I wasn't supposed to be put on and that messed up like my GI tract and some other different things. Ugh. And so it was, it was a health anxiety that was continuing, like perpetuating all of the anxiety that I was feeling. And so nowadays I'm still doing the same exact stuff with atheists. I'm still doing my stuff on my channel. We, you know, we have sometimes a thousand people watching at once that is not really a big source of anxiety for me. What was a source of anxiety was the job situation, career situation, money, basically, and then also uh, health health anxiety. And so now that those two things are uh, pretty much dealt with and secure at this point, the, I, I don't experience a whole lot of anxiety anymore. So I'm very, very thankful for that. So it's not that these conversations that I have with skeptics, 
they don't really cause me a whole lot of anxiety. They cause me a little bit, but I, th- I think a lot of us have, have that when we're talking with someone who we disagree with, normal amounts of anxiety are normal. Like anxiety, everybody experiences some degree of anxiety about something, but it's when it's at the degree of like, you're having panic attacks and it's like a serious thing. You can't stop thinking about it. It's overwhelming. You're obsessing about it. That's when it's serious. And you got to like take care of it and patient or do something like, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy to, to get a hold of it, to get control of it. So I think at those points, it's just really, you've got to do something to get in control of the situation. But that that's what it was for me. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So I've, I've not had a big background in anxiety that I've only recently, I think last year had a one anxiety kind of attack and that was during a church split, hence channel. And things were just got so out of control and so nasty and things were, it consumed my mind and everything. My phone rang and if I saw a church member's name come up, I instantly was like, cause I just didn't know what was coming. Then I, that was when I realized like, dude, you need to chill. Like you got to find a way to chill out. I didn't take medication, but I just kind of adjusted some things in my personal life to make it easier for me to handle it. But that was weird because as a ENTJ type who doesn't care about what people think generally, it was a very weird experience for me because I was not expecting that. So when you said that, I was like, man, I wonder how he deals with if that was bec- if that criticism that he uh, has given affects yeah, him, but apparently not. So that's good. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really affect me too much. It, it used to. But then when I when I kind of discovered like the sort like s- sorting out what criticism a rational approach to criticism. I'll put it that way. Once I discovered that, then criticism doesn't really bother me that much. And if it's like, if again, if, so, if an atheist has an argument against what I just said and it's good, then I should rejoice in that. Actually, I should be like, okay, great. I'm coming to a better understanding. I'm, I'm getting rid of this erroneous thinking that I had that I needed to correct anyways. So I don't, I don't really look at it. I, I look at it as an opportunity for growth and to pursue to get closer to truth nowadays right. when I'm, when I'm having these interactions with people now, health on the other hand is completely different. Health is like, I, I might die and that's a big source of anxiety for me. Right. So that was, or at least it was. And so it's, it's a lot different there. Criticism and like coming to truth and stuff, I think is, Oh, for I, sure. I think I've got a, yeah, I think I've got my mind sort of wrapped around that in a, a reasonable way and also health anxiety too. I think it's some of the same triggers are involved there with health anxiety, it's usually irrational. It's usually like you're over. There's a thing called catastrophizing. You're making a you're making it seem like this is a really bad thing when really you have like a little pain in your wrist or something like that. It's like oh my god, I'm gonna have to you know this uh, gonna have to amputate my whole hand because this thing is you know am I having a heart attack? All all these things. It's like no, probably not. You're you're probably just having some like normal experience that is not explained by the fact that you're about to die. So anyways, yeah. That's, that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, you know, more closing, more toward the closing here, I guess I always, whenever I talk to people, because we're at the church split, we talk about controversial topics respectfully. That's kind of our, our goal here. I do a lot. I do theological, biblical talks, like to get into apologetics eventually, but that's just not my main focus right now on the channel. I have a couple, but not a lot. But anyway, um, so I, I think when I interview people, so I like to talk how you eventually you relate to the church as a whole. So I guess when we're talking about criticism and whatnot, all these different things, how has the church as a whole, do you say, like Christians responded to you? Do they ever accuse you of following after the philosophies of man, uh, giving erroneous people a platform or chasing after everyone to doctrine? Uh, how has the overall response been? I would say the overall response has been pretty positive. There, there are some groups I've, I've discovered, and this was really actually news to me because I, I did not grow up learning about apologetics. I did not grow up thinking that there were all of these arguments, all of these good reasons to, to be a Christian. And I came across someone uh, a couple of years ago at this point who like, she, she's a YouTuber. She sent me a video, like a personal video. And she's like, Hey, look, this is kind of what I think about what you're doing. And she was a, she called herself a Christian. I don't know. I don't know what her situation actually looked like in a sort of detailed way. But what she was saying, she's like, "You come across as so arrogant and so confident." I mean, one of my taglines is, "By the way, Christianity is true," and that's actually meant to just get people talking. But she interpreted it, and I, I imagine not just her. There's probably many people that interpret it this way: is that, "Oh, you're just so confident, and you just got it all figured out," and and basically she was conveying, in one sense, the sin of confidence which is, is kind of an interesting thing to 
think about in itself. But what I discovered is that <laughs> there are some people who are really against apologetics and thinking that you've got something figured out or, or appearing like you're confident. There's people who are really against that. And that was, that was really interesting for me to find. I didn't know that there were people like that. I, I just thought that everybody's going to love, all Christians are going to love apologetics. All Christians are going to be super enthusiastic about learning these different lines of evidence for the truth of Christianity. I thought that was what I was going to experience, but no, come to find out there are a pretty significant number of people that are really against it. They don't want you to argue for your beliefs. They maybe want you to think that it's like something that you just kind of, I don't know, very spiritual situation. I don't know. I don't know. So that was, that was one perception. Another thing I would say is that as I've gone further into this, the whole Catholic versus Protestant debate, it's been pretty revealing in a lot of ways. And it's, it's it revealing in a, in, a, in a, a negative, in a negative way. So when I put something out that could be perceived as like pro-Catholic, the Protestants go crazy. They go nuts. When I put out something that's pro-Protestant, the Catholics go nuts. It's like inevitable, whatever I do, I put out something, the church, if you want to call it the church, there are people who react to it in a very, very negative light. And this is Christians. This is not atheists because this is a a completely in-house debate, Catholicism versus Protestantism. This is an in-house debate. So it's been... It's been interesting to to see that. Now, if you follow the stuff that I do, I am not like a very confrontational person. That's just not who I am. It's not what I do. So when I'm invest as, as I'm investigating Catholicism, I'm looking for like the best arguments for Catholicism. I'm not trying to straw man what the view is. I'm not trying to you know if if a lot of Protestants say something like well, they have a really warped view of what the gospel is and what justification looks like. And so if that's true, I want to believe that. But if it's not true, I want to I want to like make sure that Protestants stop saying that because I, I want the truth ultimately to prevail in, in these situations. And so that's that's what I do is like in my conversations with Catholics or with Protestants, I really want the truth of the matter about Christianity. Like what is what is the true Christianity look like? That's what I want. Kind of going back to what we started this interview talking about. I want the truth. I want the true Christianity. But it's just been really sad to see kind of the way that, that people are reacting to it. And so I, I view what I'm doing, the work that I'm doing in investigating this and making all of that public, I see this as very, it's sort of inevitably countercultural. It's very countercultural to approach these topics with an open mind and, you know, sort of being opposite of vitriolic and arrogant about it. When in a lot of conversations that I've seen people have in response to videos that I've posted, people have been just that. They've been very arrogant. They've been very, it's just been, yeah, it's, it's been very negative. But I'm hoping that they'll see that there's another way we can do this. We don't have to be, you know, argumentative or condescending, vitriolic with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't have to do that. We can have good conversations and love each other. I think that's what we should Absolutely. be doing. So. Yeah, I don't mean to get on like a high no, horse. No, absolutely. I'm just saying that that's 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 just something I've noticed, and it's just it's unfortunate. I think. No, I, I actually I appreciate that because uh, again, as pastors experience church splits, hence channel that whole thing. It's been like, well, why do we have to be this way every single time we disagree with somebody? We should be able to work, and you know, there should be unity and diversity. And you know, it, like you said, you say one thing, these people freak out. And I think it's funny though, you do get accused of being arrogant because you're. Uh, I've said this all the time. Uh, people confuse arrogance with confidence. Uh, you know, I do believe. Christianity is true. By the way, Christianity is true. Uh, is true. Christianity is true. You know, it's not arrogant to claim that something is true. Just like someone wouldn't sit there and say that. You know, most people would say that. Well, the the Earth is round, and then okay, well, if that's true, that's not an arrogant claim. You know what I'm saying? Like so. Anyway, uh, the point is, I've had that too in our comment section on our videos. I've had people say, "Well, you come off so arrogant because we had a conversation with Brenda at God is Gray." I'm not sure if you're familiar with that channel. Um, definitely more California mm-hmm. Christian. Christianity. It's interesting. Careful of that deep dive. Uh, but it's people were saying that we were too nice to her. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to sit there and blast her like when she's on the channel just because we majorly disagree. Yeah. But anyway, I appreciate that about about you. And I, I know that there's I hope people eventually realize that there is a more effective way. I think if the, the council in Jerusalem, when everyone got together and they reasoned for days on some of these topics, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles and all of that, it's like, well, we this happens all the time. We don't need to hate each other. So uh, 
Uh, also, yeah. there are some people who don't like apologetics, as you mentioned, and I've been told before that apologetics don't work or that you need to just mm-hmm. preach Jesus. Uh, what would your response be to people who say apologetics don't work? Uh, I would say, first first of all, you're wrong. There are some people who the Holy Spirit uses apologetics to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. So first of all, the claim is just unsupported. But then also, the Bible actually commands us to do something like apologetics in a, in a bunch of different places. But one place is very clear is in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give a defense of the hope that you have, but do it in gentleness and respect. That is a command to have an idea of what it means to defend the truth of Christianity to people who don't accept it. And so the Bible commands us to do that. Another place that is more sort of indirect or implicit is the the verse, I don't, I don't actually have the reference in mind, but where Jesus says, love God with all of your, your soul, strength, heart, I think, and then your, your mind. You've got to love God with your mind. What does that look like? A lot of people just kind of skip over that one. They're like, oh, well, I really love Jesus. You know, I, I pray all the time yep. or I read my Bible. And so that's what they focus on. But And then they forget there's this whole section, or there's, there's this whole side of Christianity, the mind. Love God with all of your mind. But what does that actually look like? It looks like studying your Bible, not just reading your Bible, studying it, learning good theology. I think that it also includes natural theology, learning good apologetics, especially if you care about evangelism, you care about reaching the, the, um, the loss with Christ. In our day and age, we have young people who are, they have access to the internet. They know that there are atheists out there arguing against Christianity. You've got to be prepared. If you're going to do evangelism, you've got to be prepared and no apologetics. And so the person, I heard this actually from a guy that was on my channel. Or, or I can't actually remember the context. doesn't matter. He said that basically the person who doesn't see a need for apologetics, that's basically exposing the amount of evangelism they're actually doing. Oof. Big oof. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Absolutely. I, I, I'd I agree 100% with that. It, you can't get involved in... Uh, I had a friend of mine who was like, I want to get involved in evangelism. Like, how much of apologetics have you said? He's like, oh, not a lot. I'm like, you're going to need to get involved in apologetics before you jump <laughs> into doing a full evangelism ministry. So, I, I, yeah, I agree with you 100% there. So, um, I guess there is... So, we have... We just talked about Catholics and Protestants. And just so you know, one of my best friend, he was on the channel. He's from Northern Ireland. So he's from the Protestant Ireland. And there's a big conflict mm. over there with Protestants versus Catholics. So it's actually hilarious talking to him about about, the, about it because he's very passionate, <laughs> to, put it, to put it politely. But uh, with so much division in the body of believers today, how do you believe your ministry can help unite them? So I mentioned earlier about the Catholic and Protestant thing. And so I think one of the, one of the ways that my ministry can help unite people is to show people another way of, of doing things. So instead of just being super argumentative or condescending or vitriolic, I want to show people that you can have conversations about these very serious and important topics, but without devolving into name-calling and you know just, just being very condescending. I think there's enough of that already. And one of, the, one of the guys who I have conversations with a lot, his name is Matt Frad. He's a Catholic apologist, and he has a great YouTube channel. He and I are sort of friends at this point sort of friends. We're friends. And uh, so I, the conversations that I have with him, though, are just very open on both sides. It's just, it's really, really cool to have conversations with, with someone like him. I can be very vulnerable. I don't have to worry about him, like, misinterpreting something I'm saying or trying to straw man one of my arguments or anything like that. I don't have to worry about what, that with him. And I think he and I are very similar in in the fact that we just, I think we both really care about truth. And we're not really in this to put the other person down or make fun of them. Like, that's not why we're doing this. We're really in this to seek the truth sort of together. And we both want what's true. If, if, you know, Protestantism is true, I think, I think ultimately he, he wants that. And same for me, if Catholicism is true, that's what I want. And so I think that's, that's one of the ways I do this with atheists too. It's not just uh, Catholics that I, I try to approach these conversations as open and as honest as I can. And that's one of the reasons why I've moved a little bit in my, you know, my views on atheism when it comes to, to Graham Oppie. I want to look at the best the other side has to offer and look at it charitably. Look at it like, what is the best light I can paint this in? How, you know, what, what are my, what are my honest thoughts about that? And it, it's not a fact of like, 
so, so some some people stay in control by like bullying or <laughs> talking down about you know talking down to to other yeah. people. I think some people that's the way that they stay in control of a conversation or stay in control of their side of their side of things. But I I don't I mean I have a really low view of of bullying in the first place. But I think that excuse me I think that there's a the way that I stay in control is is putting truth at like the forefront of what the goal is. The goal is to get to the truth. And so if that's ultimately the what I want and what I, you know, the way that I stay in control, I think that that's the way to to keep everything, uh, keep all the priorities sort of straight, I think, is the, the best way that I can I can think of it. I want the truth. God is truth, mm-hmm. right? All Christian truth is God's truth. God is truth. All truth is God's truth. And so that's what I want. It's not that I'm seeking something other than God. If God is truth, I'm seeking God still. So anyways, yeah, that's that's the the way that I think our ministry can have an impact on uniting people. I think that's actually amazing because we really need more people to just, no, instead of condescending, shaming, and uh, ad hominem attacks, all these different issues, hey, no, represent them the best you can. Have a great conversation. You'll find you get yourself a lot further with that sort of conversation. You know, not just as always a clapback, although clapbacks can be fun, but they're not effective necessarily. So uh, I guess real quick, so if someone wants to get involved in apologetics and engaging in this sort of philosophical, intellectual culture of Christianity, what would your best advice be? I would say to uh, to start, start out with a book. And the one that I would say, read the one that I recommended earlier from Greg Kokel called Tactics. Is this going to give you a lot of the tools that you need in order to have a conversation with really anybody on any subject, but when it comes to apologetics and evangelism and the gospel, you can have really effective conversations with people very, very quickly, actually. And so he has a lot of practical advice, and it's also biblically grounded. He talks about the Bible throughout the book. And so I would highly recommend picking up that book to get a kind of start into apologetics. And I've actually interviewed him a couple times, so you can search Capturing Christianity, my YouTube channel, Greg Kokel, and you can see some of the interviews that I've done with him. But that's what I would say is a, is a great way to start. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, that was like the 10th like apologetics book or something like that I read. And I'm like, why didn't I start here? <laughs> it's such a great starting point. So yeah, that yes, book, so that, good. it's such a good book. So uh, is there any particular channels you'd recommend? Obviously your own, Capture Christianity. Is there any other one? Uh, Mike Winger. Yeah. Mike Winger's channel. I would say if if you're into apologetics and and theology, Mike Winger's channel is so, so good. He doesn't just do apologetics. He actually does apologetics. I think a a smaller amount of the time he he's mainly doing theology and talking about the Bible and like, what is it like? One of the recent things that he's been doing is uh, marriage. What does the Bible say about marriage and divorce? I've listened to the whole series. series. Yeah, it's incredible. And so I would highly recommend checking Mike Winger out. John McRae, I think you met him, you mentioned him earlier. Yep. Uh, John McRae, What Do You Meme is his YouTube channel. I would also recommend uh, subscribing to his channel. He's, <laughs> he's uh, starting a new channel if you're interested, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting. We'll see, we'll see what, what comes of that. But anyways, What Do You Meme is what you want to follow, John McRae. Uh, another guy you mentioned, uh, Braxton Hunter, he's also been on the channel a bunch. So I, w- I would recommend those three guys. And uh, the four of us are in a group text. We have a group text on our phones and we're constantly talking about apologetics and YouTube and everything. And uh, so I would highly recommend checking out those those three people for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, Trinity Radio is actually one of my favorite go-tos because Braxton is so good. He's actually... I. I'm a Trinity student, actually, so he's the president oh, nice. of, of my school. So anyway, uh, I really, yeah, he's fantastic. So uh, also, outside of tactics, is there any other particular book? Um, a, a good introductory level book on apologetics uh, would be On Guard by William Lane Craig. And that one I read when I was first starting out, and it was really helpful to kind of get my foundations or understanding like what is this layout to look like? what does apologetics currently look like what are the arguments for and against you know he he also has a little section in there talking about the absurdity of life on atheism that part is really important i think and and really important to think about is what are the implications of atheism so that book i would highly recommend it's it's geared toward a an introductory level person who's just getting into apologetics has no information, has no knowledge of 
any of the arguments, I would highly recommend that book as well. Now, I mean, on our channel, we also have, I should probably mention this before we uh, close this, this interview out, is I'm right in the process of doing a, uh, a course or like a series for this exact thing, an introductory level course to apologetics. And what I did was I found like 11 or 12 people so it's 11 people because one guy is teaching two courses, but I found 11 people who are teaching sort of the basics of apologetics, why apologetics is important. The second course is logic, argumentation, and probability. The third one is, can we know that Christianity is true? Third one is, or the fourth one is the Kalam cosmological argument. And I picked people specifically on these topics who are like the top or the, like the best person in their respective field for that subject. So I would highly recommend checking out the series. This series is actually only available on our Patreon account. Just like you got to go out and buy a book in order to get some of the good, the, the, the best material. We reserve this for our patrons who support our ministry, Capturing Christianity. And that's uh, patreon.com slash Capturing Christianity. At $10 a month, you can get access to all of the, the courses that we have in this series. We're going to be doing more series like this. So this one on apologetics, this is kind of new information. It's not really public yet, but... We're, we're thinking about doing some more series. So, so like one on epistemology and basically 12 different courses teaching introductory epistemology. Another one maybe on metaphysics. So there's like free will and causation and stuff. So there's, there's a lot of things that we could do with this ministry. But that's what I would suggest. Check out On Guard. Check out our series that we have on Patreon if you want to support our ministry. Uh, I think you'd really, really be blessed by that. And yeah, that's what I would suggest. I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, ten dollars a month gets you a whole class. That's fantastic. Uh, actually, it's funny enough. I know about the class, and I haven't even. Yeah. yeah, I haven't taken any of them, and I'm a patron. What in the world? What am I doing? I need to do this. You I need to know. do all of them. I don't understand. Okay, I'll get into it. <laughs> so, and my final question that I did not send you, but I just have to ask: What's it like okay. to have the best hair in all apologetics? And do you think it gives you an edge? <laughs> that's a good question you, you you realize that you actually have a twitter account for your hair right that's that's I, a thing yeah i i know that because it it came about because of an interview that i did with, with someone else and he recommended it and so someone did it but uh I, that's I think, hilarious <laughs> i don't think it gives me an edge i would say it gives me a cutting edge though <laughs> wow. Okay. That's a great way to end this interview. So, uh, gives you a cut. The dad jokes are strong. Okay. So, uh, is there anything you'd like to add as we close? No, I'll just say, yeah, get, get interested in apologetics. You've got to do it. You need to learn about the reasons that Christians have offered in defense of Christianity. There's so much material out there. You can start engaging with it for free at my YouTube channel. Uh, I think we're right at around 250 videos, maybe a little bit more at this point. Yeah, it's probably more. But but yeah, so if you're interested in, in any of this sounded interesting, then definitely check us out on YouTube. Just search for Capturing Christianity on YouTube. You can find it really quickly. We have a website. We have a Facebook page and Twitter account. Even an Instagram, I think we're our Instagram account is, is growing these days. It's pretty, pretty good. Uh, thank God for that. But yeah, so that's the those are the various ways that you can check us out. And uh, thanks in advance for for doing that. No, no problem. Hey, thank you for being on camera. I really appreciate it. And everyone, go check out Capturing Christianity and go give them a like or two and share their videos. So appreciate your time, Cam. You take care. Have a good day. No problem. Thanks for having me.